0: How many of you ate too much? Own it. I don't I don't really think that I, like, at any one meal, just overate. Um, I just never stopped eating from, like, Tuesday <laughs> till yesterday. I got up yesterday morning and I thought, I am not eating again until Christmas. I mean, by lunch I was good. I, I ate again, but... But uh, you get that, you know, you just know you've been eating too much. I did have something I thought was pretty interesting. Um, a pumpkin pie with, pumpkin pie is my second favorite pie. Um, the, the crust was made out of ginger snap cookies. I know, right? I, when I had it, I was like, hmm. Jesus is always doing something new. It's a good thing. Um some stuff, so the water is good here we We did realize that um, once we turned the water on so for, for some of you newer, we were in the county. we switched to the city so we could build our building. We have to do the water sewer first. They're working on the sewer right now. Um, we'll be over the next few weeks. The water is finished, it's in, but but as we turned it all on, there was a bunch of problems with all of our stuff. Our pipes weren't regular used to regular water pressure and stuff and uh, and and there were things like snakes in the lines and stuff like that that's not true <laughs> that's not true i just lied right there um but we, we're fixing a bunch of stuff and some things are still not working if, if you come across uh something with a toilet or a sink or something you think well this is not the way it should be email the office don't come tell me directly because i'm just going to be mad but uh, email the office, and we're, we're trying to figure all this stuff out. We've got a plumber coming in to do some things. And, but it's just exciting. I caught myself this last week, turn the water on, I get excited, turn it off, turn it on, I get excited, turn it, like, like it's 1920 and I just now got water in the house or something like that. But um, Some things that are happening coming up that you'll need to pay attention to. Supreme Court is hearing, uh, starting December 1st, Supreme Court is hearing uh, arguments on um, on abortion, the abortion cases that are the case, but it's, it's part of other cases that's going on. Please be praying about that. This is huge. This is huge for the kingdom of God and for the family of God. Uh, we, and, and as our country, too, I believe a lot of the reasons that our country goes through so much difficulty and stupidity on so many levels and so much um, uh, non-truth kind of stuff, I think it uh, starts with things like abortion that are just direct attacks against God and his word and his morality and those kind of things. Uh, so be praying about that. That's heading, that's coming up now. Um, <clears throat> I did want to throw this out here. So Israel, again, Israel has been the one who's done all the most vaccinations, the most testing and all that stuff. So the test, the reason I'm saying the tests that come out of Israel are are much more factual than, than a lot of the other stuff. Like the stuff that we're seeing in our country is not even factual at all. I saw this report this last week, 365 different reports from, from um, reputable medical and health organizations have said that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are the only real thing that's going to take care of COVID. And, um, and we, they'll, they'll, add, they'll directly ask Dr. Fauci that and he'll, well, you, you know, whatever. He's even said that he has to change the definition of what vaccinated needs to be. Right, you know why? Because we're we're just living in a big old pot of lies, and we just got to keep making more lies and more lies. Now, with that being said, this is important. Some of you have vaccines, some of you don't have the vaccine. This is important uh, if you have the vaccine. The, the Israel, some of the tests that are coming out of Israel right now are saying that the vaccine is not good for any of the variants that are coming out, and on top of that, that um, that you're more likely to catch COVID with the vaccine and because the vaccine actually tears down your immune system, that you're more likely to have greater problems with the, um, the vaccine with the new variants than without the vaccine with the new variants. And that uh, natural immunity is, is three quarters, 70, over 75% more um, productive to keep... The, the natural immunity deals with all variants, whereas the vaccine doesn't. And that uh, you're per six, 76% more likely to not um, get uh, sick with the new variants with uh, natural immunity. So, so just be thinking about that. If, the reason is because pay attention to what's going on. If you got the vaccine and you start getting sick in certain ways, and I'm saying things like heart issues and stuff like that, you can still take ivermectin. Okay, ivermectin is still the best option. Even if you have the vaccine, take ivermectin. I'm saying this because this is going to get worse. Our sicknesses and all this stuff is going to get worse because of the vaccine. And I know that many of you didn't want to take the vaccine. I get that. But since you haven't, pay attention to this stuff. Pay attention ahead of time. And I know where you can get ivermectin. I'm serious. So um, there are two two pharmacies right here in Colorado Springs that are given ivermectin. Um, If your doctor prescribes them. Most of the rest will not. But um, one of them is called College Pharmacy, I think is what it is. But uh, they'll give you ivermectin. So find those places um, and and make sure you know where they are. So my wife is here this morning. If this is your first week, you're like, does she not not normally come? No, she doesn't like church really so much. So good. I uh, know she's doing good with the surgery. She's recovering. Um, she's walking all over the place. We did have a bad day Friday. We went too much, too far, and Friday night was not good. So she took lots of drugs Friday night, which is cool, because when you go unconscious with drugs, theoretically, your husband can play with your face and, and uh, make noises, and you never know, you know, I mean, theoretically. So um, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to we're going to, um, th- th- this is an interesting little part of scripture that I, I go back to every now and then. <clears throat> because it's one of those that I think if you get away from knowing what it says or get to a point where you think you've graduated beyond it, I think you're it's a little bit of dangerous territory. But Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11, we're going to go back up into this part of the scripture later, but we're going to start with verse 11. It says, there's much more we would like to say about this. We're going to the this in a minute, and that's earlier. That's the scriptures above it. But he says, but it is difficult to explain. He's talking about theological things, uh, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. These, th- This is a strong sentence that I think it's important for us to, to, to visit this every now and then. I, the, the reason I do this is because I don't want to ever be spiritually dull and I, and I want to listen to God, and I think I need to be reminded of these things sometimes. Have you ever thought about this, that really a lot of the teaching in Scripture, it's almost common sense and intuitive. But the reason that it's in the Bible is because we're bad at it. It may be common sense, but we're bad at this stuff, and we have to revisit it all the time. The, 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 the reason there is um, teaching about marriage in the Bible is because we don't do marriage real well. And we need to be reminded how to treat our spouses. We need to be reminded of what this covenant is and these kind of things. The reason that there are teachings about finances is because we don't do that well. We, do, we become about us with finances. And so this is one of those things. I don't want to be spiritually dull. I don't want to take for granted that, I, that I'm listening. It sounds like a parent, right? When, when Paul was writing this, it sounds like a parent is talking to a child. You don't listen. Well, we understand that he's not talking about your ears hearing noise, right? He's talking about listening with your heart, with your mind. They're actually doing something about it. That your, your children hear what you're saying. You, that you know they hear it, right? I mean, I've, I've held on to that hope for years. I know they've got to be hearing what I'm saying. But then why don't they do it? See, listening is not hearing something. It's doing something. It's, it's, it's what the action that it, that it partakes, a life existence that happens next, that that's determined what he's talking about here. He says, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Guys, that should convict you to your to your shoes if you're not ministering and teaching to others. I'm talking to us right now in this room. If you're not ministering and teaching to others, it's saying right here that you've been a believer for a long time. Why aren't you doing this? You're You're, you're, you're not listening to God. You're not obeying God. You're not doing what he's asked you to do. You've got, God has created us not just to, to get stuff from God, to absorb stuff from God, but then to give that out to other people. And the interesting thing, you say, well, couldn't they just like read the Bible and get it? This is something that, that gets lost a lot of times in the family of God. I didn't understand this years ago. The reason that God has you absorb what he is teaching and showing and doing and then give it out is because he wants it to come through you. You are part of the filter that he has designed to get the word back out there. So then you hear and read God's word, and then when you give it back out, it comes out through your life experiences also, so that when you're giving it out, it's wrapped up with experience, it's wrapped up with knowledge and all this stuff that's been vetted through the life problems, so that when you tell somebody else that's been through similar things, they hear that. That tone, That tone vibrates throughout that message in a way that if they haven't been through that, it doesn't vibrate the same. And, you, and, and I know if I'm using terms like that, it sounds new agey, but follow me, okay? You, you understand what I'm saying? That God uses you, not just as a regurgitation of mouthpiece, but as a, as a filter of that information. You're vital to this. This is why there are different writers in the Bible. It was vital that they write that book. Not just that it's dictated or something, but that they actually write that information because they're involved. You are designed by God to minister to others, to teach others, to develop others, disciple others, and you're supposed to be involved with you, the person of you. But there's, there's right ways and wrong ways to do that. If you're not doing it in submission to Christ, you're, you're getting too much of you involved. You've got to have more Christ than you. I think, I think, I think that one should be common sense. He says, instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. This is why I pick on sometimes. We, we, I just grew up watching this. I've seen it as an adult all my life, where we'll have the same Sunday school classes, Bible studies, and all this stuff, year after year after year, which is not bad within itself unless there's no ministry that comes out of it. If there's no ministry that comes out, why are you doing it? How many times can you hear the same Bible story until you, you tell somebody else? Or you use the, the principles that the Lord is trying to teach you in that, and you minister to somebody else. We're supposed to be ministering. That's the point of this. He says you're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. This one always gets me because I want to come back to, in my relationship with God, I always come back to, God, I want you to be teaching me stuff. I don't want to be I don't want me, uh, driving on neutral. I'm telling you, you know this. If you've been doing the same job for years and years, you know what I'm saying is true. I can pastor on neutral. I can do it. I've, I've been pastoring for 31 years. I can do this in neutral. Do you know how many sermons I could preach right now without even trying? Because I've, I've done this my whole life. But that's not what God wants from me. He wants me to get in and chew on the meat. He wants me to get in and work on something. Work it out in my life, what I was talking about last week. And then work that out with other people, that other people know God's word. Because why? Because I'm not just drinking milk every day, but I'm getting in and I'm listening to God, listening to the Holy Spirit, and I'm being intentional about this. This is what God has called us to do. He has called you to minister to other people. To do that, you're going to have to chew on some meat. Now I personally like meat. I I I made a um, a brisket for Thanksgiving. How many of you would wish you would have had that instead of turkey? Raise your hand. I know, I know. And for you that didn't raise your hands, because you're caught up in traditionalism, and you need to break free. <laughs> right? So here's the thing with that. I, I, want, I want to get into God's Word. I want the meat. It doesn't mean it's, it's not always um, difficult. You know, sometimes you get to chewing, and you, it's, this is where turkey comes in, in my opinion. You chew on turkey, but it never goes away. You just keep chewing. <laughs> Tim and say you're still chewing. It hasn't done anything for anybody. But sometimes, believe it or not, when it comes to God's Word, He wants us to do that. Sometimes He wants us to begin chewing, and it may take a long time. It may take a long time for you to get that scripture and really process it. And you've got what, what the books have said and what online says, what your pastor says. But you understand that that scripture needs you to chew on it for a while. Because God wants to show you something that maybe didn't come out in all those other things. But he's trying to get you to do it. And he's telling us this. I had a pastor years ago that used to say this. I was his youth pastor. He said, it's sad that the church in the church we have to part the beard to give him the bottle. That's, that, that happens a lot, guys, that we're, 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 we've got grown adult people that have been Christians for a long time that are still on the bottle. We can't do that because you can't minister to other people that way. You've got to be getting in and getting the real stuff so that you can teach others and minister others. He says, I said utters. Did you hear that? <laughs> I think it's because of Milk. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. <laughs> Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. That you grow in that. You develop that. You grow into that. And you develop. Now let's, let's go back up. And I want to mention this. We're going to go back to, to verse 7. But here's something I think is very important that I've seen in, the, in this same vein of thought. The difference between milk and meat is, is we get caught up oftentimes as, as Christians, as part of, now, now follow me for a little bit, as part of this religion called Christianity. We get caught up in doing the things of our religion, following the, the statutes of our religion, following the, the, um, the rules of our religion. So we do the church stuff the way we're supposed to, you know, attend, go to certain things, you know, the things, enough to, enough to get by, right? You, you, you're not really, you're not really uh, immersed, but you, you know, enough to get by. And we do the rules, and we give in the offering, because that's part of the rules, and, and we live a good moral life, because that's part of the rules, and we pray, because that's part of the rules, but we're missing something in the big picture, because it's not about relationship. The concept of going by the rules is the, is the definition of legalism. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees followed all the rules. In fact, the Pharisees followed the rules way better than we do in this room. None of us in here follow the rules as strong as the Pharisees did. And they got them all right. Every little thing they got right. But there wasn't a relationship with Jesus. In verse 7 of Hebrews 5, it says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. God heard his prayers because of his, of his deep reverence for God. That, that relationship side. Even though Jesus was God's Son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. This is not popular in American Christianity. It has never been popular. Well, back a long time ago it was. But in the last 50, 60 years, we've pushed this completely out of American Christianity. The idea that you would suffer. In fact, we've even built theological ideas and an entire Um, uh, theological movements around the idea that if you're suffering, you're not a good Christian. Well, then what about Jesus? Because it says he learned obedience through suffering. See, I think suffering is going to be part of a Christian walk. And it it makes sense if you think about it. If If you're in love with God and you really want to do what God says, I'm not saying being part of a religion called Christianity, but you really are in love with God. You really have a relationship with Jesus. You want to do what is pleasing to him. You want to be who he wants you to be. You are going to be in conflict with the cultures and the social mores of the day. There's no way that you're going to be compatible with those completely. Because God is not compatible with the spirit of Antichrist that runs the world. Scripture talks about this. And he says, they're going to, uh, they're going to attack you because why? They attack me. I know they're going to attack you guys, this is Jesus saying, because they attack me. And if you belong to me, they're going to attack you. Now, <clears throat> we have to keep in balance that there's a difference between the, the, the demonic push through society, the spirit of Antichrist, and how it catches people up in it, separate that from the actual people. We still have to love people. We don't, we don't need to walk around in conflict all the time with people. If we're doing that, then there's something wrong. We're not really loving people the way we're supposed to and those kind of things. We have to love people and, and still hate the sin that Satan is using to destroy them and be able to separate those two. But you're going to be in conflict. You're going to be in conflict with governments when they leave God by the wayside. You are going to be in conflict with them. And this is, this is part of the thing when the church tries to just pretend like there's no conflict in a political sense. it's causing us more harm than good. I'm saying the body of Christ. Maybe not the country, but it's causing the body of Christ more harm than good because the country's going this way and Jesus is over here. And we've got to make sure we keep that in balance. Jesus learned obedience. God in human flesh learned obedience. Don't you think we are in the same category? We should be learning obedience? Obedience. That should be part of my heart's cry. is Jesus, I want to follow your example in learning obedience. He says, in this way, God qualified him as high priest, perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. I'm going to get back to that sentence later. God designated him to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. 1 Samuel chapter 15. There has to be a moment, and we all have to make this. In fact, I don't think it's a moment. I think there's, it's um, moments through life. When we have to push against the, the, um, the, the confines of a religious ideology called Christianity, and we have to push against that and make sure that what we are doing is loving Jesus and serving Jesus. And even though the actions on the other end can be the same, obedience to, to God's word and everything else, even though that can be the same, the, the 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 foundation, the beginning of that, which is relationship with the Lord, brings a different outcome on the other side. You can go through the rules if there's not relationship. In fact, I heard this years ago when I was a youth pastor. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. If you've got the rules, but there's not the relationship, somewhere along the line, it's going to shift. It's going to be all the time shifting to where it's about you and it's not about a relationship with God and you can actually be following the rules and doing all the stuff you're supposed to, living a good moral life, all these things, but you are doing it in rebellion against God even though it's his commands. Because you're doing it in you and you're not doing it in God. And that's where legalism moves in. That's where the church can control and, and, and destroy people's lives in the name of God rather than love people and, and see them get saved in the name of God. That's the difference in the two. The, 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 the easiest example was um, the, uh, when Catholicism was moving all over the world and it was, it was um, the cross or the sword. They would go somewhere, they'd land on an on a island in the Caribbean and basically tell everybody, you convert to Catholicism or we kill you all. That's, that's not relationship with God. That's religious rules. Guys, we, guys, we do the same thing within American church, um, evangelical, Pentecostal church. We have all the same things. We get into the, to the, to the uh, structures of who, of who a Christian is supposed to be but we're, we're not, it's not from relationship that it's happening. And it's dangerous to us. That's how you can literally be going to church year after year after year. And it can be a good church. It can have good, healthy everything. And you can be slowly dying year after year after year spiritually. Because you've let it be about the, the guidelines instead of the, the relationship. Verse 10, 1 Samuel 15. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king. Can you have a more discouraging sentence than that? What if God said that about you? I'm sorry that I ever made this person whatever. For me, I'm sorry that I ever made Scott a pastor. How how, Could there be anything more difficult? More discouraging? More attacking? More painful? What about, I'm, I'm sorry that I ever made... Um, I'll keep using me. It'll make this easier on you. Um, I'm sorry that I ever made Scott a father. I mean, you could go right down the line with stuff. Guys, this is as difficult as it could possibly be. To me, this is the, the, the hardest sentence that God could ever say. This is what, even coming up to the flood, when he says, I'm sorry that I ever made people. How discouraging. How discouraging. And this is the reason, for he has not been loyal to me. Guys, that's not about rules. That's about relationship. That's about connection. Now, we're about to see this whole story is about rules. But it all starts from God's perspective in the heart. And the reason King Saul couldn't get this is because he didn't understand the attitude of the heart to love God. It was all about the rules. He says, for he has not been loyal to me and he has refused to obey my commands. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. So what had happened? The story quickly. Um, God told Saul, go kill these people. Take, kill all of them. Kill all the animals. Don't leave anything. Don't leave anything. Don't take anything. Destroy everything. Saul said, okay. So he went into battle. He didn't kill everybody. He kept the king alive. He didn't kill all the animals. He brought them back, and he sacrificed them himself On the altar, and the reason is because he was waiting for Samuel. He was waiting for Samuel, and Samuel wasn't showing up. And Saul needed to move on with his life because he had a statue of himself to make and some other things like that. And so he was getting more impatient with Samuel. And so he just does the sacrifices himself. It's it's what you're supposed to do. It's the sacrifices. This was the law. This was the rules. Do the sacrifices. And so Saul did the sacrifices. And then God gets very angry at Saul over this. And he says, verse 12, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went down to Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And then he went on to Gilgal. That, that monument to yourself thing, that drives me crazy. I'm saying in today's context. We were kind of joking about this because um, we drove past this building, me and the family drove past this building over on um, Interquest and Voyager it's now been made into the, it was just an abandoned building for years, like a third built. You know what I'm talking about? Then the movie theaters and all that stuff. So they came in and they started building out the movie theaters, sold all the stuff. 180 acres they had there. I checked on that 10 years ago, by the way, to buy it. $20 million for all of it, 180 acres. That building and everything. You realize how much money you can make on that right now? Okay. But it was in legal issues and stuff. But I was telling them, I said, I always want to take something like that. And I, And I had a plan. I, I actually called the realtor, I got the drawings. I made plans what to do with all of that? because I would love to have a facility somewhere in the future where um, where ministries and missions organizations could come in and have faci- have offices and um, chapel places and stuff for very pennies on the dollar, just enough just to basically pay the bills and and let them have it almost free and and then don 't tell. Some of them you just give it for free, but don't tell everybody else because ministry people don't get nice about stuff like that with each other. And so then, and then like have a bank of offices for missionaries that come off the field. Do you have an office you can use here while you're, while you're in Colorado? And it's just stuff like that. I've always wanted to do that. Ministries and mission organizations. And so and then we were joking and I said, and we'll name it the Scott T. Bottoms Ministry Outreach Evangelism Organization. Just, just so you know, so there's no confusion, that stuff disgusts me. Why does it need to be named after you? Why do you need a big statue of you in the foyer? Why do you need a fountain that has a holographic thing in your, with your face on it? I made that one up. I've never seen that before. <laughs> but that would be cool. <laughs> but these kind of things, why? Because we're selfish little human beings that like to build monuments to ourselves. Instead of, nothing you do in ministry is about you. It's about God. One of the the greatest uh, statues I've ever seen, and I have a little miniature version of this in my office. There's a huge one at the seminary, the Assembly of God's Seminary I went to for my doctorate. It's it's in the foyer. It's huge. And it's um, Jesus washing Peter's feet. I love that. That's what this should be about. This thing is about Jesus. Ministry is about Jesus. It's not about a testimony to ourselves. But you know when we start doing that? When we start become part of a religion instead of I love Jesus more than anything. Then we start naming things after us and it all becomes about us and us and us. This is what Saul is doing. He went to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. You know, he didn't even set the monument up to the soldiers. At least that would have kind of been okay. But he didn't win this battle. God won the battle. When Samuel finally found Saul, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's commands. Did you, Saul? Well, he kind of did, right? He sacrificed. He, he attacked the, the armies and he killed all the army and he, and, he, and he did the sacrifices afterward. It's the rules. That's what you're supposed to do. He did all the stuff. Except God didn't tell him that stuff. He's going by the rules. He said, I, I obeyed everything. Samuel says, Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear? It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Now, I heard years ago, I remember this, for some reason it stuck out at me, that... um, that Saul wasn't intending on sacrificing all the animals. I, I think you're putting that in there if you say it, because I don't think that's what happened. I think he was intending to sacrifice all these animals. I don't think he was planning on keeping some. But that doesn't change the fact that there was disobedience. And here's something that we're missing oftentimes when we read this story. Saul goes through all of the process of sacrificing all these animals. Because why? Because when you sacrifice to God, you are giving Starting at the very base of this you 're giving ten percent of what you have. why? because you are sacrificing to display the relationship you have with God, Lord I love you more than anything i 've submitted my life to you so i 'm going to take ten percent of my material possessions and I give that as a sacrifice to you God to to show that i 'm really in love with you it 's not about the it 's not about the the killing of animals that that God is wanting here. It's about the relationship. That's why the tithe is Old Testament and a New Testament thing. It hasn't gone away in the New Testament. I know people say that, but it's not true. Jesus himself said you should tithe. Because why? Tithing shows, God, you are in charge of my entire existence. And I'm going to prove that to you because I'm going to take 10%, or maybe prove it to yourself, take 10% of my material possessions, and I'm going to sacrifice those to you. All right, in our concept today, because we don't raise cows for the most part, um, you, that means a check. It means a money thing. In, in back in the day, it wasn't a dollar bill thing. It was more of a possessions thing. But the more that our 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 society has switched and now we are our, our income, our increase, is the way scripture says it, comes from money, then that's why it's a 10% tithe of money, right? Now, here's the deal with this. So Saul takes animals that were not his to sacrifice to God. Now, I know the term sacrifice means you kill them, but it specifically doesn't say... Um, uh, Saul killed him on an altar. It says he sacrificed him, which means it is a sacrifice. You're taking something of yours, this 10% mentality, you're taking something and you're sacrificing it to your God in honor of the fact that everything you have is yours and he's the one who won the battle. Except Saul took something that was not his, was never intended to be his, was supposed to be killed, and he used that as the sacrifice, which was zero sacrifice from him, no sacrifice from him, Because he didn't have to use his own stuff. Do you you see the importance of this? Did he obey it by the letter of the law? Maybe. But there was no heart, no obedience, no relationship, and no loyalty to God involved in this. He's not even sacrificing. There's nothing from him involved in this. Although God kept him alive and had his army win, his thanks is, well, God will just first disobey you by keeping the animals, and we'll just sacrifice those to you. Well, don't you want to use your own stuff, Saul? No, nah, it's, it's, uh, it's all wrapped up in, you know, in, in 401ks and, and all that kind of stuff. You, do you see what I'm saying? When do we sacrifice for God? When do we give ourselves? Why? Because he's done something. He does stuff for us all the time. And Saul is still arguing this out. He's still arguing this out. He says, yes, we've done all this, but we destroyed everything else. Is that even true? No. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what stop. No, so stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked? And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, see, this is why I think people build tributes to themselves and monuments to themselves and they name stuff after themselves and all that stuff. I think it's insecurity. I think that's a driving force for all that kind of stuff insecurity. And he says, although you think little of yourself, go back in Saul's history. Saul always thought little of himself. He was always insecure. Let, let me help you, for, because I know insecurity is a normal thing that many or all of us deal with at some level. I, I, can, I, can, I can show you right now, you can break the back of insecurity overnight. There are some things that, that that's not this way. Insecurity is one of those. You can break its back overnight by doing what? Abandon yourself in God and find your, find your um, worth in God, not in anything else. Insecurity comes from finding your worth in something else, in people or circumstances or situations. When you abandon yourself in God and you really begin to understand your worth in God, your insecurity will go away. Now, here's the thing, and I can attest to this. It will always be trying to come back. Because why? As human beings, it is naturally comfortable for us to find our worth in people, in circumstances, in things, in accomplishments and things like that. Guys, your worth is in Christ. Go after Christ and let him tell you how important you are, not anybody else. When you have to have that from somebody else, you're you're in the process of self-destructing. Your worth is in Christ. But see, he says here, and Samuel digs right down to it quickly. Although you may think a little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you, King of Israel. You're the king. <clears throat> Don't be insecure about this. As this goes all across the, the board, didn't God create you? Didn't he anoint you? See, I think there's a responsibility. And I've had this conversation with many pastors over the years that, that, that struggle with insecurity. You still have to be responsible to God for who you are as a pastor. It doesn't matter whether or not you're insecure about it. You still have to be accountable to God. Your actions, your attitudes, everything. You have to be accountable to God. But I don't think I'm that special. Shut up. God made you. Stop saying that stuff. Well, I don't think that, that, you know, I'm not as cool as... Shut up. God made you. Stop saying that kind of stuff. God made you. You are saying, well, God just really messed up when he made me. Come on. God made you. Don't, don't fight against that and argue against that. I, I, I think you're picking up on the fact. I think when people um, poor mouth when it comes to the self and self-importance, that disgusts me. Partly because I think most people are faking it. They're wanting attention. That's just me. But let's assume there's some legitimate issues going on out there, okay? What you're doing is you're arguing with God's createdness in you. Because why? We've been listening to the world for so long. We've been listening to Satan. We've been listening to everybody else. We listen to Facebook. Everybody on Facebook's having the time of their life. It's not true. Everybody on Facebook looks like movie stars. Not true. Right? But we do this. We buy it. And so then Satan begins to tell us, you're not good. You're not special. Somebody said this. Somebody did this. Guys, stop that. Stop it. I'll move on. The Lord sent you on a mission and told, and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Now remember, the first time he came to him, he said, Saul, did you do what you're supposed to? Yeah, I obeyed everything. Well, then why do I hear animals? Well, you know, I kept some aside because we want to do the sacrifice. So you still done everything after that. Yeah, after that, I kept all the commandments. But God told you to kill everybody. Look at this. Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord. He's still arguing, knowing he has not been obedient. I still, I did obey the Lord. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag. You can't say that in the sentence with, I was obedient. King Agag's supposed to be dead. You're bringing him back. Now, why? See, this one. This one, you got to kind of go back in history and study some of this to get the importance of this. See, Saul is not only building monuments to himself, he's doing other things in the same vein. See, when you conquered a king in that time frame, there's a bunch of little things, depending on where geographically, what kingdom, all kinds of stuff. But, but some of the more common things, you would cut off their big toes. Okay? And then you would have like a, a display of big toe, king big toe. Like you have big toe here, and you have king Agag under it, and king, you know, this big toe. I'm serious. Okay? And another thing they would do is they would take kings and they would chain their thumbs together with all the other kings. Like if you have six kings that you've conquered, they all have their thumbs in these little chain things all together. And then you keep them like when you're in court, when you're in your, in your big king room that people come visit. Um, they're on the side and they're all chained together with their thumbs so that when somebody comes in, they go, oh, wow, King Saul. You're a pretty big king. You've got six kings sitting over here under your authority. That's why he brought King Agag back. Give me one other reason. He wanted to to parade him through the people and say, look what I did. Although Saul, you didn't do it. God did it. And you're being disobedient by bringing King Agag back. All of this. All this is about Saul. None of it's about God. He may be doing the sacrifices, but even that's, even that's hokey because he was sacrificing nothing. His heart's not after God. The whole point of sacrifices is God is a heart for God. Every bit of this is Saul. Saul doing what he wants. He says, The troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Do you see voice is not just commands? That's more relational context. God's voice, that's the personal side. It's not just the decrees he's written down somewhere. It's already out there. This is God's voice and you're not listening to it. Now, we could easily switch this for us and put in context. Which is more important? That we do all the church stuff or that we're obedient to his voice? That we fulfill all the church uh, expectations? Guys, I I probably have been more guilty of this than anybody in this room. Do you know how easy it is for the pastor to go through church motions? It's my everyday life. It's my everything. And I have to act like a pastor every day. All day. You only have to act like a Christian on Sunday mornings. Until we all fall in love with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this isn't about acting. It isn't about doing. It's more about loving. And then all of a sudden, life flows out of our relationship with Jesus, out of our connection with him. That what we do, we do because we love Jesus. He's given us everything. We love him. Most of the things that I was processing through on Thanksgiving and thanking God for throughout the day was, it all had to do with something that Jesus has done for me. Something he's given me, something he's, he's, he's developed me with or something. Jesus is so big, so amazing. He does so much with us that most of it we don't ever know. We don't even have a clue that he's done. We won't know till we get to eternity. And what he's wanting is for us to love him and to be loyal to him. The reason we obey commands is because we love the command giver. The reason that we go by whatever rules he establishes is because we recognize, even though some of those we may not like, we recognize in our relationship with the Lord that the reason he gave them to us is for us, not so that we be some kind of um, <coughs> robots for him. God didn't give us a bunch of rules <clears throat> to turn us into to automatons. He's doing those because we need rules, because we're really bad at this stuff. He wants us to love him, and that's why we obey. I, I've said this before with my relationship with my wife. I, I don't get up <clears throat> in the mornings and, and say, okay, today, my goal today is I'm not gonna cheat on Linda. I'm gonna give it everything I got today. Yesterday, I maybe I've tried as hard, but today is the day. That makes no sense. At, at some particular, what if I went that? What if I went to to Linda with that every day? Linda, I'm going to try as hard as I can. It's going to be difficult. <laughs> but I'm going to try as hard as I can to not cheat on you today. Can you do the same for me? Somewhere, doesn't she just want me to say, "Hey, Linda, I love you"? And let's start with that, because that's where. That's where commitment to each other flow out of true commitment, not not some kind of weird Americanized commitment, but true commitment flows out of I love God. I love my spouse. So so I'm not living on that edge over there. Are you following my train of thought? So so when does that happen with him? He says, listen, isn't obedience rather than sacrifice? Look at these two things he says, obedience, submission. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. We oftentimes we take the word obedience and we think that's about an action. Obedience is not about an action. Obedience is about the attitude of the heart. Do you realize that God can do a lot of things with you, but He can't make you obey? First, if He makes you do it, it's not obedience. You, you, if it's involuntary, it's not obedience. Obedience is the attitude of the heart. And that comes from submission. That comes from relationship. That comes from connection. True obedience. That doesn't mean that sometimes you're you're not doing the things that are right. We know the difference, right? We know the difference when we're going by the rules. This is easy. For military people, this is easy. You go by the rules sometimes when you can't stand the person that you're following. right? They're in charge. You're going by the rules. That's not the same thing as being committed to that person. You know the difference in the two right? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So then he takes these two words because they're the opposite of the first two. Obedience and submission. These next two rules. Rebellion. It's the opposite of obedience. Obedience says, I love the person that I am committed to, and so I'm going to obey them out of that. The reason that I sacrifice should be for obedience, but sacrificing, in other words, just going by the rules is not the same thing. Rebellion is the opposite of obedience. Rebellion says I'm going to do what I want when I want. It doesn't matter. I may actually still do the sacrifices, Saul. But I'm doing them in rebellion. Because it's not about who told me to do the the rules. It's not about actually sacrificing doing that. I'm going through the motions. And guys, we can do this easily in Christianity. We can go through the Christian motions with no relationship. And then the second one, he says... Stubbornness, which is the opposite of submission. Obedience, rebellion. Submission, stubbornness. Stubbornness is the opposite of submission. As there's, there's none of us in this room that have not dealt with stubbornness at some particular point. It's just it's the way it is. My 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 oldest son is dealing with this with their three-year-old daughter right now. Sorry, is it? Because God's a God of answered prayers. Okay, so, <clears throat> and they, you know, he's—they're he, stressing over this, and, and rightly so. They're, I mean, this is legitimate. I just—it's—I'd see it from a different perspective now, but—but but it's difficult. I understand what they're going through. Um, I gave story after story to my son that proves I know exactly what he's going through, but. And she's, you know, she's at the ripe age of three and a half where you know, rebellion really gets to kick in and make life difficult, right? So little things like this, this rebellion and, and, uh, and stubbornness and things like that, this is the, this is the reality. Guys, here's, I know we don't like to hear this in today's society, but children have to have that rebellion curbed. They have to have that stubbornness broken. They have to. You say, well, I don't want to hurt their psyche. What hurts their psyche is when you let them continue that way. And then they get to be 18 and they think that stubbornness is okay. That rebellion is okay. It's not okay. And it's going to hurt them and destroy them. And it's easier to break stubbornness in a 3-year-old than it is in a 30-year-old. In fact, by the time they're 30, it's, it, the only, I believe the only way that that stubbornness gets broken, that rebellion gets broken, is by a sovereign move of God. Because the person's too far down this road. Society has enabled them too far, and people around them have enabled them too far. It's not going to be broken, except from them, God doing something supernatural and them submitting to God. Guys, it's always going to be popping up in our life, always. We're always going to have this this rebellion and stubbornness that's gonna pop up. It, it, it's, it happens at some level all the time. That's where we have to just bring it to God and work on it. You, you can't fight. I, I am a stubborn person, but I, I work hard, hard, hard at this because I know my propensities here. I work hard not to be stubborn with God. And I can give you stories all day long when I was stubborn with God, but I have to fight against that. Because he wants me to be in submission to him. That's the only way this is going to work. He's the creator of everything. He knows everything. He's, he's in charge of everything. He's God over everything. He knows my future. He made every cell within me. Why would I be stubborn against his will and plan? It's that sinful, broken, sinful human nature that does that. He's got a plan for me. And it is so much better than my plans. But i got to get to that point. And, and my, one of my biggest deals is just get there mentally. God, I know your plan is better because it's amazing how I'm doing, going along, doing good. God's, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, God, I got a plan. God's like, I don't need it. No, but God, hear, hear me out with this. Because why? All of a sudden, I start thinking I got a better plan than God's plan. Guys, it's human nature. Romans chapter 5. I put down these three things to sum this. King Saul was doing it his way. Samuel's taking too long. Things weren't right. He's going to do it his way. He's going to take the bull by the horns and run with it. As that will cost us a lot of problems. The sacrifices were not about relationship. None of it was about relationship with the Lord. And obedience is most important. But that has to flow out of relationship. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness. Brings the right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Now, I believe that that the reason Jesus took on human flesh, the main reason, is so that, well, after the whole sacrifice righteousness thing, is because we follow that example. Jesus in human flesh, I can follow. God being just God, I can't follow that example. But God in human flesh, I can follow. That's why I think he was 100% human while still being God, and we're going to look at that in a second. But he says um, that... uh, Adam messes this up with one act. Christ fixes it with one act. Now, I can't follow the righteousness side of it, but look at the next. I mean, I can't can't make righteousness for you, is what I'm saying. My blood will not give you righteousness. But look at this. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. That part I think we can follow. My blood will not make people righteous. But if I follow Christ's example of obedience, people will understand God and know righteousness because of that. And guys, I think this is across the board. I think our biggest thing we can do in government mentality right now, in political mentality right now, is submit to God and be obedient to Him. That takes precedence over the stuff. We, too often we go straight to the stuff and we fight the stuff rather than making sure that our heart and our lives are submitted to the Lord, then fighting the stuff out of that. The, the best example, back years ago when I was a youth pastor, I started seeing this. Prayer was starting to become difficult in school. It wasn't wrong yet, it was, but it was already, the fight was already on. This was back in the, in the early 90s. fight was already on. And, and it dawned on me one day... You've got all these parents that are so mad that the school will not let their kids pray in school, but these parents don't pray with their kids at home. So we've gone straight to the, I know, whoever said that, yes. I heard an amen from a six-month-old. But here's the thing with that. We go straight to fighting the battle that we're not actually engaged in. Our heart's not involved spiritually. We're not in love with the Lord. We're not talking to him that way. But then we'll fight the battle that prayer should be allowed in schools. You realize if we would fight the battle at home and pray at home every day, it would never have been a public issue. We, to this day, we still wouldn't be, have to worry about that because we were praying and seeking God and serving God at home as families. We lost the battle at home, which is why we lost it in the schools. Now, still fight it in schools. I'm not saying that. But we've missed the point. It's not about the relationship side. One person, if you, one person obey God, you'll be amazed at how you can change society. Just one person, just obey God. No matter what comes to you, you love God and you're going to do what he says. No matter what. Love God, do what he says. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. This is in human flesh. This is incarnated. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. That's why I'm always talking about he put his deity on the mercy seat. He gets back, he buys it back later or trades it back later with his blood, right? But he was saying, even though I'm God, I'm not going to operate as God. That's important for us. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself. The man that never sinned humbled himself. The, the, the man that was, that, he, that was God also humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The way I follow Jesus is I humble myself in obedience to God because Jesus set the, the standard. He set the pattern. That's the pattern that I follow. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> So I've been praying about this for us, actually for weeks. But specifically saying, "Okay, God, we need you to do something." Let me. My disclaimer: I'm very proud of where we are as a church with this. I really believe as a church, we are really trying to get to the Lord. I believe we're trying to pursue God. I just have too many conversations and stuff that are that are showing that to me constantly. So I'm not trying to be overly critical of us with this, but I also believe that there there's Mm -hmm. this same thing. That, um, well, I just through praying I know God has put this on my heart that we have got to break away from just going through motions and we've got to get in and pursue. We just got to pursue. All of the the other stuff, it's good. It's good. To, sometimes going through the motions keeps you there. I get it, but you can't live that way. And so to to take a step, we're gonna we're gonna do this with a physical step kind of thing because I think. These are easier for us to really deal with issues when we do it this way. I think sometimes we just stay at our seats. I don't know, maybe I think just taking a step out and saying, you know, I'm going to do this. And you say, well, what about people thinking? What do they think about me? Whatever. Here, here's the deal with me on that. This is eternal stuff. This is significant stuff. This is important stuff. Who cares for the next five minutes what somebody thinks about you? I always think about this. If, if I find out I had cancer, I'm going to be running to the prayer partners every week. And I'm going to be running to anybody else that will pray for me. And I'm going to be praying constantly. The idea that I'm going to sit back there, I know I'm going to die of cancer in six months, but I don't, I don't want somebody, to, I don't want to be embarrassed by walking up front. Really? Okay. So to take a step of faith and to say, God, I, I, I need you to take care of this. I need you to deal with this. All right, let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open our hearts right now. Open our hearts to the reality that we need you more than anything. And Lord, I believe through this room, we've gotten our, our spiritual walk has become dull in some, some people's lives. Some people are not listening the way they're supposed to. And God, you've already been convicting them. It's already, you're already doing it. So Lord, we want to commit these things to you. We want to commit these things to you. God, I don't want to be disobedient. Lord, I believe right here in this room there are people that are, that they know they're not doing what God has said about something. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. But Lord, now stir us. We got to get it right. We got to get it right. If that's you, you know God's working on you about this. I want you to take a step out, come down front. We're gonna pray with you, pray for you. But to say, I gotta, I gotta do this. I'm going through motions. Maybe I'm just being disobedient. I don't, I mean, there's all kinds of things with this. But I need to make sure, Lord, I belong to you. This is relationship. This is relationship. I belong to you. Don't ever let God tell you something and you just say no. Guys, we got to be obedient. We've got to push through that stuff. We've got to. As you come up, move up closer so we can get people. We want people to come behind you and pray for you. Some of that kind of thing. I, I, I don't want to rush through this. Anybody else? You say, yeah, this is me. Come on, let's do this. some of you, anybody in this room that's ever been disobedient, rebellious, or stubborn, we need you to come pray for these. Right? You're like, okay, that's me. I can respond to that one. Guys, here's the thing. We're all like this. We just at different times have to work through this stuff. We're all like it. We all deal with this stuff. We just have to work through this stuff. Right? Right? Lord, we lift this up to you, God. I know, I know you love us so much and you've got such big plans. God, we fight against this stuff sometimes. We think matters in our own hands and we do it our way. God, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me, Lord God, when I try to walk in my own existence. God, forgive me for disobedience, rebellion, stubbornness. Attitude, God forgive me. Forgive me when I when I'm not listening, truly listening to what you're saying. Or Lord, I hear it but I'm not doing it and I know but I'm not doing it. God, I feel like you've told some people in this room to stop doing something. Holy Spirit, you anoint them right now to stop it. Lord I believe you've called some people in this room to start something. I'd help them to to, to just just jump out there and just start doing whatever you've asked them to do. Holy Spirit, we submit to you. you. This is about you and we submit to you. Lord, help us not to waste our life of disobedience and rebellion and self. Lord, help us to spend our life with your presence and your power, with your gifts and your ministries, doing what you've called us to do. You're praying right now. Let him work on you. Let him do it. Don't resist. You've made it this far. Don't resist him. Lord, I surrender to you. I submit to you. I submit to you. God, I, I pray against insecurities God that's just Satan that's just Satan messing with us I'm created by you I'm created by the king I'm created by the best Lord I know this is this is something you, you've got to change in our hearts and then God use me I don't want to be an old Christian doing nothing. Lord use me. <laughs> Jesus name. God, you're so big. You're so amazing. so patient forgiving you've got such a big plan for everyone no matter how many times we trip no matter how many times we goof up Lord God you're right there with the plan use us thank you Jesus I have been praying and I will continue to pray specifically this week that you're going to come in I really believe the Holy Spirit does this more than we pay attention this week you're going to deal with some of this stuff pay attention to it catch catch it when it's happening listen to the Lord let him speak to you let him show you this is what you need to do or this is how you need to process if you catch yourself resisting listen to the Holy Spirit stop right then listen and then and move forward in that right pray talk to him right then before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus this week, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So specifically, guys up here, you're already here. Just start hugging everybody. And we'll see you guys Wednesday night.